having the day of days because my hands are finally on these babies. I finally got these babies. You were rubbing my face in it for weeks. Yeah, well. <laughs> Congratulations. I'm glad you finally got them. I, I'm really sorry that uh, they're not in America yet. They're still on a boat as of uh, mid-March. Uh, yeah. But they're coming, so look at Houston. So I'm glad you finally got them. I know you uh, you just went ahead and, and, uh, and paid the postage to get them over from the UK. But you know what? They got here fast, right? And that's the... That's Super the challenge. Fun. Yeah, that's the challenge we're at, man. It's like, well, you can pre-order them and wait, or you can pre-order them from the UK and get them faster. But it's that it's that postage cost. It's it's a it's a cost benefit, you know. It's uh, what what's the what's the old saying, Michael? It's uh, you can you can pick two. It's fast, cheap, and good, or something like that. Yeah, something like yeah. that. So it's fast and cheap, or it takes a long time and it's good. Something like that. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you got them. So congratulations on all the hard work you did on them. I uh, hope you hope you enjoy them. It's been immensely fun. And I think it just makes it more real when it's in hard copy. Again, I'll go back. The PDFs are great, but yeah. there's something about a hard copy book that you can mm -hmm. put next to your nightstand or decorate a coffee table. I mean, these are coffee table worthy too. We've been talking about the quality of these books for a while. Um, mm -hmm. So I'm happy to have them. Um, and again, I just want to welcome everybody uh, to today's I talk real good. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, my universal translator just busted. You're just so excited about those books. I really am. It really <laughs> Michael Dismuke, I'm a freelance writer uh, for Modiphius and, of course, a blogger on Continuing Missions, which is the number one fan site for Star Trek Adventures RPG. Jim Johnson, you want to introduce yourself? Sure thing. Jim Johnson, uh, project manager and lead editor for Star Trek Adventures, uh, Modiphius Entertainment. Uh, anything that you see in the books is uh, my fault. So uh, enjoy. All right. Well, well, there's so much excitement. We know we've been talking about the Shackleton Expanse uh, book. It's been out for uh, the Shackleton Expanse campaign guide, which has been out uh, for about a year now. It came out last year. And uh, just like we did with the Game Master's guide and the player's guide, we want to break down chapter by chapter the Shackleton Expanse to really get the insights of what was Jim and all these writers thinking when they put the book together. Um, I know that for one, my group, uh, we're, we're, we're playing through the missions and we are uh, having a ball. Jim, I don't know if you caught it the other day. I sent you a link of our last play report of your mission, one of the missions you wrote. I, I saw the link that you sent me. I have not had a chance to look at it yet. I'm I'm uh, heads down on a couple of Star Trek projects right now, and I just haven't been able to come up for air yet. Those first. Don't uh, just yeah. go to those first. I've said it before. <laughs> That's what matters. <laughs> well, today we're actually going to be uh, continuing our conversation from last week. Uh, today we're talking about player options. Last week we actually went over and talked about the new species that were thrown into the book um, the Akeru, the Kofarari. Ooh, I mispronounced, I butchered that really bad. The Vashari and the Kalmirans. And uh, today we're going to go into chapter uh, uh, four, talking about player options. What does that mean when we say that, Jim? Player options. Uh, player options. That means, uh, you know, all the new stuff that players can play with. It's uh, it's the character species that we introduce in the book. It's, uh, you know, a couple extra bits and bobs. It's just, you know, the more more things for your players to, uh, to do, more character options for you to play with. So, and with some new... Uh, Technology and gear as well that you can uh, add to your characters as and your games as needed. 
Well, we're going to review them. I know I have my favorites behind me, which is one of my also favorite pieces of art from the book. My second favorite piece of art is right here, the, the amazingly brilliant quote for Ari. And one day I will learn how to pronounce it exactly correctly. <laughs> um, it, fortunately, we do have pronunciation tables on all of these. Um, but I thought what we do is go go. Uh, page by page through. I'm going to go ahead and share screen, but for those of you um, who are listening on the audio cast, you'll just have to wait to get your PDF or your hard copy book to see some of the amazing art that we're about to see. Uh, Jim, of course, we're going to start with one that's close to your heart. Maybe you can tell us why as I go ahead and share the Akeru, which is one of the first player species in this chapter. Yep, the Akeru, they're, a, uh, they're another um, uh, a Vulcan slash Romulan offshoot species. That I wanted to throw in here because uh, the Shackleton Expanse isn't necessarily all that far away from Romulan space, uh, so dropped in some uh, plot hooks and some ideas for them, but then also gave them the full-blown uh, you know layout here. I was inspired by uh, ancient Egypt uh, culture and mythology with this, uh, just you know plus some personal stuff and uh, a few bits and bobs of other things. Thought it'd be a cool, interesting species to introduce. They are um, a, a young species in terms of warp capability. And uh, they are they are creative, they are energetic, they are uh, very efficient, and I thought they would be an interesting uh, potential ally or adversary for player characters as they get into the expanse and start exploring. So really curious to see what people uh, decide to do with them. Uh, there's also some some secrets built into their society uh, that possibly might relate to the uh, to the meta plot that we built into the campaign. See, I'm afraid to talk about what we did with it in our campaign. Cause yeah. one, I don't like spoilers. I'm, I'm big against spoilers, but I also don't want to give an idea that makes another game master kick themselves in the butt and be like, darn it. I should have done that. Mm. Um, what do you, what's your feeling about doing that? Um, uh, you know, it, it's hard to say, like, uh, we, I, I don't know. I think we want to be careful about giving any spoilers away, but, uh, I think, you know, we, we made this such a toolkit that I, I think that, uh, every group is going to kind of put their own spin on it and, and have a lot of fun with it, hopefully. Yeah, well, I mean, I'll admit, when I first saw Romulan and Vulcan, I was kind of like, oh, that's kind of boring. I'm like, what, why would we do that? We've seen them so much everywhere else. But then when I finally uh, read through their history and then also saw how it matches with the Tillicall mm -hmm. campaign, I was like, this was actually really brilliant. And again, no spoilers. Everyone knows that they can read our post-play reports on continuing missions if they're curious as to what our group did with it. I personally think it's better to play through the mission yourself first, just so that you you, you aren't uh, affected by what somebody else did, because every game is its own universe, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Cool. Well, let's go on to the next uh, uh, species, which I totally fascinated me. This is the Calmarin. Again, how did they come to be? And tell us what makes them special. Yeah, the Calmarians are a creation of uh, Kelly Fitzpatrick. She came up with this. I, I gave each of the writers an opportunity to create a whole new species. And uh, Kelly Scott and uh, and Derek uh, Tyler Attico, they all delivered on that. And, uh, you know, Kelly sent me this draft along with some pictures that she found. And I was like, okay, this is great. Because this is something that you've never seen on a Star Trek show before, except maybe, um, you know, tangentially Prodigy. But, of course, Prodigy didn't come out until well after we had done the layout and design of this book. So this was something fresh and different. And uh, I just think it's really cool that these uh, crystalline entities have uh, the ability to warp time to some extent. I think that's a really cool science fiction concept that I'd love to see somebody do stuff with that in, in, you know, in their games and, and talk about it. Um, oh, boy, yeah. will you. Oh, boy, will you. <laughs> cool. I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> I but yeah, so I, I really appreciate it, uh, uh, this one because uh, it, it really it touches on that, that high concept science fiction stuff that Trek is really good at. 
Yeah, I, I think, again, one of the things that we talk about a lot is that in a game, you have no budget. So you can have yeah. characters like this. You can have the most outlandish, creative characters like the Calmiran introduced into your game because there's no budget constraints. So have mm -hmm. fun with it. I can't wait to see a Calmiran serving on my ship one day. I think that awesome. would be really cool. So a yeah. great uh, Kelly Fitzpatrick, great character design on this one. Let's go over. Uh, we we have Orions, which we're familiar with. Anything special about the Orions you want to say as to why you dedicated an entire uh, character option for them here? Uh, well, I mean, they, we we I, I had always intended on putting the Orions in the game somewhere, and um, this just seemed like the good fit, right? Like, yeah, way I, like, and it harkens back to way back at the beginning when I was just a freelance writer on the core rulebook. I wrote a couple sidebars um, about being already in the expanse, right? They're the only uh, alpha alpha beta quadrant species already in the expanse, right? The Federation's not there yet. The Klingons, the Romulans, they're not actually in the in the expanse yet. And so it was kind of this surprise surprise to the Federation that, oh, hey, look, we're checking out the expanse for the first time. And oh, by the way, the Orions are already here, entrenched, doing their thing. And, uh, you know, the, the side benefit was, uh, you know, Lower Decks came out and uh, Tendi was a main character and she's an Orion. It's like, oh, well, this is just jiving nicely because now we can I can drop the Orions right into this book. It makes sense. It gives players uh, a new species to play with, a familiar species to play with, right? I mean, hearkening back all the way to the original series. Um, and it just felt like a good time to drop them in. Uh, it also didn't hurt that, and I know even though it's the 32nd century, it's not quite relevant, but uh, the Emerald Chain played a big role in, in season three of Discovery. And what I really liked about that is that they presented the Orions uh, a little differently than what we've been used to seeing them as kind of like the slave trade and the slave owners and the, the super voluptuous women in the very you know skimpy outfits. I wanted to take a little bit of a different route here, and that's why I presented this character in a much more elegant outfit, uh, just to show that you know the Orions are are a lot more than what we've seen so far. And uh, yeah, you know, again, just want to get that option out there for players that they wanted to do something different. This is a, a place to do it. Hey, I, I actually think uh, Discovery has the best treatment of Orions yet, in my opinion. I just yeah. thought it was nice to see them coming out not as the part of alien trash of the galaxy kind of you know not really constructed but really really put together well and i feel that the shackleton expanse could really be the origins of that of revealing how powerful the orions really are yeah. in, in milky way galaxy so i i really like that this was added in there cool mm -hmm. okay then we got the ones that i love the most i think it's just because they're so cute and cuddly talk to us <laughs> about the kofuari <laughs> I think they're deceptively cute and cuddly, right? So uh, uh, Scott Pearson, my good friend, and also the uh, the canon editor for Star Trek Adventures. Um, he's he's also the uh, the primary copy editor for Simon and Schuster's line of uh, Star Trek novels. Uh, he's been, um, you know, I, I tasked him with creating an, you know, giving him an opportunity to create a new species, and he came up with the Kofarari. And uh, I, when he sent this draft along with his pictures, sketch concepts, I was like, I was just blown away. Because um, it's so different than what we've seen on Star Trek, right? But like we've never seen any type of, not that I can remember, any type of like centaur character, like half humanoid, half animal kind of thing on screen. I'm sure they've been in the comic books. I'm, I'm willing to bet the animated series had something similar with the, with the um, the the Aurelians, right? Um, the but this was species eight four seven two. They had mini legs. Okay, there you go. Yeah. So I thought this was just really cool and different, and and I loved it. And what I really love about the Co Ferrari right, is their whole, 
their whole um, shtick, right? Their whole backstory. Like they are so brilliant, brilliant minds that they can just like, you know, I, I kind of had this vision of like, they're, they're, they're lounging on the veranda with like, you know, cocktails and snacks, talking all this high level theoretical physics stuff. They're like, oh, we could create this uh, temporal time stream drive and wouldn't that be cool? And we could do this and this and this. And yeah, yeah, we have, but we're not going to do it. We're not going to make it. We just, we're just thinking about all these crazy, incredible things. It's like, it's like Stephen yeah. Hawking, if Stephen Hawking didn't bother to actually create anything, he was just coming up with all these incredible, super technical details. And they just don't choose, they, they just, you know, culturally, they just choose not to make it, right? which was just a fascinating to me. Well, where I really got prime directive on this one was, yeah. you know, they're, they're, they're only a warp species conceptually. They haven't actually gone into warp according to this design. But imagine yeah. how many other species would purely want to enslave them mm -hmm. to just get their mind just right. for the use of their mind. So the potential of people trying to take advantage of them, or if you could convince them, hey, okay, yeah, we know you have these great concepts. Don't you want to join Starfleet? I feel Starfleet mm -hmm. almost begging them to join, which we haven't seen a lot of in Starfleet where, they're, where they see the value of one particular species over another uh, when it comes to advancing their, their technology. And so mm -hmm. I'm, I, I'm drooling with being able to use this species in our game, which we plan mm -hmm. to do in a couple in a couple uh, episodes. Yeah. So. The only other thing I'll add about the Koferari, and this is just because, you know, I spent so much time working on this book and the layout and development and stuff that like I, I was, I was running plot ideas through my head, you know, as you do as a game master. Right. And I was thinking, but you know, it'd be really cool if like a group of players were getting into the whole, um, the, the whole saga, the whole till call saga. And they get into this situation where they're like, the Federation hits a brick wall of like, okay, we, we just don't have the technological know-how to deal with this meta plot, some of the big stuff in the meta plot, like we we need like the next evolution of technological assistance. The, the Koferari are it. Like, how do we go? How do we approach them? How do we get them to be consultants if they if they're not willing to at least join us? Like, how do we get that edge? And uh, I, I was just starting to spin off on all kinds of ideas, and then I had well, to spin myself because the I'm book timing. No, I'm timing when this <laughs> podcast is going to show because I don't want my players to watch it before. <laughs> <laughs> because because we're. Uh, you're right on target, Jim. Yeah, That's yeah. all I want to say. You, the, this is the most exciting species in the book to me. Um, and honestly, uh, I could even see playing a game that doesn't involve Starfleet, doesn't involve Klingons, Romulans, and just have a story about this world and its development of getting off planet. Mm. So, so if you're a new player, a new game master, um, a, a group, and you're like, hmm, what should we do? Just read about the Kofuari in this book and take off with it. I would love to see people who just do a pure Kofuari story. Yeah, yeah. That would That'd be, be cool. really exciting to watch. Um, okay, and then finally, we come to, I, I'll have to say my second favorite, the Vinshari. What was the concept behind them? Yeah, so the Vinshari, this is a, a Derek, uh, Derek Tyler Attico's creation. And, uh, you know, I didn't give them any prompting. I didn't say, you know, make something, you know, make something dangerous. Just, you know, I, I gave them all complete creative freedom to, uh, to come up with something. And then of course we tweaked it, you know, from there, but it, the original concept was, this was the, this was the main, uh, power in the Shackleton expanse, at least as far as we knew it. And, um, they, I, they're, uh, you know, they're, they're aggressive, they're territorial, they're, um, I don't want to say colonists, but they are, they are aggressively expanding their territory. Right. And they haven't reached out beyond the expanse yet, but they are steadily working their way through the expanse and there's factions and there's other stuff going on. But uh, I thought, you know, any, any new setting 
needs a really cool, potential, powerful adversary. And, uh, you know, we worked with uh, Aaron to make sure that their starships had, you know, sufficient firepower that they could challenge most of the Federation starships that, or Klingon starships that would make, be making their way into the Expanse. And uh, there are species that the Federation could immediately start biting heads with, maybe become allies or maybe come up with like a, you know, like a detente kind of a mutual non-aggression pact or something, but uh, just wanted to really throw something different in there. And, you know, they, they have uh, some biological uh, uh, quirks to them that I thought were really interesting that, uh, you know, Derek dropped in there. And um, I, again, this is just a, a really cool species that I would love to see somebody do something with in their games, whether like, I can't even imagine what a player character Vinshari would look like on a Federation ship. I, I almost kind of envision like a, um, I don't know if you've read the DS9 novels, like the Gamma Quadrant novels, but uh, at one point there was a Jem Hadar who who was assigned to the station by Odo, and he had to kind of like just like make it work, right? Like you know mm -hmm. he didn't want to be there; he wanted to be kind of adversarial. But uh, I can see a Vinshari being on the uh, on a Federation ship, being like uh, kind of like uh, looked looked at sideways, you know, even though they try to you know follow the uh, the yeah. tenets. I, I won't be giving away too many spoilers to say that the reason why I think. I'm excited about this character is yeah. because they're native to the Shackleton expanse. And yep. based on just, you know, not getting too deep into it, the Tilakal, in my opinion, are not. And we're going to talk a little bit about, you know, what's going on in the Shackleton expanse with the next chapter too. But there had to be a species that was upset by them coming into town and therefore their politics and their belief system and their aggression has a reason behind it. And so mm -hmm. I think, like you said, these could end up adversary to Federation or their greatest allies um, since they've been the Shackleton expanse since, since the Tilical have been there. That's how we're kind of, you know, positioning it in, in, in our game. Um, and I'm only saying this because we're getting into it this week. And so I'm not spoiling it for my players by, by <laughs> declaring this, but I'm curious to see if they play their cards right and make allies out of the Vinshari or not mm, cool. uh, in our campaign. So, yeah, I mean, these were the, these were the top uh, five new uh, character options. Talk to us, um, Jim, for people who are new to character options, what's the concept behind character options in Star Trek Adventures? Well, I mean, you, you know, if you're not familiar with the, with the property, right? Like, you know, of course, Star Trek is 55 years, 56 years old now. And uh, there are, we've seen hundreds of different alien species on screen. Um, and in the books and in comic books and everything else. And, uh, you know, we only have so many pages in the RPG books to to devote to new character options. And so this was an opportunity to, to provide a few more. And uh, so, you know, I, I created four new ones because specifically this book was really meant to be more new stuff, like more original new stuff, uh, but plus the Orions, right? So just, you know, more character options for your player characters to think about what kind of characters do they want to play, what kind of stories do you want to tell do you want to tell a federation story or a klingon story or or a group of independents right like this this book came out before the player guide and the game master guide but we were developing those two books while i was finishing up this one and so like in my head i knew that's where we were going with the uh, with the line was to bring out those new player options in the player's guide um so like if a, if a group wanted to be do something really creative and different they could take the shackleton book and the player's guide and do an independent campaign in the shackleton expanse and and how would that screw things up, right? Because like, what, what if you're advanced and you don't have the Federation resources to to rely on, right? And you crash into the the Vinshari. Now you're really screwed, right? Now what do you do? That that just amps up the the story potential and the drama for your uh, for your campaigns. And like, I, I think at one point you said on um, on the Facebook group, you, at one point your your group had like 
70 threat saved up or 60 threat or it's some ridiculous number 41 41 okay right so so like you know uh, an independent crew going into the expanse and crashing into vinchari space like that threat would ratchet straight up right right off the roof right and you just have to deal with it and uh i just can't wait to see what people again yeah i I encourage i really would love the fans to write in and tell us how you're using these characters if you're interested them as main characters on your ship what they look like how they got i i love hearing all those options um as this universe explodes open in the shackleton expanse another cool thing that is in this chapter um aaron paulier went to work again on new technology and so uh, i always love when he get when we get more science and techno babble from him what, what were your highlights from that section of chapter four uh i mean aaron is fun because like if i give him a word count he'll just go crazy with it and uh, sometimes I have to rein them back a little bit, but uh, I just, you know, for a lot of a lot of this technology, I was like, you know what, this sounds really cool, right? It sounds Star Trek, it sounds technical, it sounds like it all makes sense. I think my favorite piece in here was probably like the um, the visual universal translator yeah. and the uh, the extreme pressure suit, right? The, the going into deep ocean deep deep ocean even more than what we can do now on earth but uh, i was just like oh man these are great like we don't see a lot of underwater stuff on star trek because they're usually busy exploring space but like you know exploring underwater is even every bit as dangerous because the pressures and all the stuff that's going on down there and that would cut, um, count also recently our group went to a transjovian planet basically like jupiter and nice. that's high pressure environment too so you know it takes more than a normal life support suit to survive in that environment yeah. which was fun I, I my favorite was the megafauna and space-based life form sample equipment mm-hmm. we really get into science and techno babble in our game and i actually look up real science and throw in a lot of those concepts so i'll build that around tools like this which we haven't had a chance to use yet but i definitely uh-huh. haven't marked uh to get in so some really fun stuff for those of you who really want to get into the techno babble expand your imagination and explore the technology of the 24th 25th 26th 32nd 89th centuries <laughs> yeah it's all in there yep all right fantastic great graphics too um you know showing the ev suit helmet um and torso sub assembly mm-hmm. um, just just fun to show players to make their imagination come alive the reason i love graphics like this for those of you who can't see it um it shows the transparent aluminum visor the primary life support unit status alert lights and thermal micrometeoroid protection layer the reason i love that is because this is where my complication complications come from when I see a graphic like that, oh, well, you have a crack in your transparent aluminum visor. How are you going to fix that? You know, mm-hmm. so graphics, study those if you're getting the books and, and find ways to uh, uh, throw some action and suspense into your game with it. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, hat, hat tip to uh, to Lee, uh, Lee Woozy, who did the layout for the book. He came up with that graphic um, pretty much on his own. He's he knew. Like as we were laying it out, he knew that there were sections of the book that you know had had some space, and we needed to put a graphic in there. And uh, he came up with that. And when I looked at the draft that he sent me, I was like, "Oh, that's uh, you know nice job," because you know he knows Trek pretty well. And I was yeah. really happy to see that. I mean, because you can see it in the graphics, right? You can see you can see that he understands Trek and he knows Trek, and he's and he had the assets and the resources available to uh, to put that together. And and I was just really appreciative. So thank you, Lee, if you're listening to this. Uh, thank you again for all that hard work you did on the layout. Gorgeous, gorgeous. For anyone who has not peeked at these books again, get them to look at the art alone. It's it's wonderful. All right. Well, 
that's chapter four. We're going to still go. We're going to continue on to chapter five because we have the time. And, and okay. I'm excited to talk about the Tillicall. Um, give us a, a brief blurb on the Tillicall, Jim, before we launch into this chapter. Yeah, I want to be careful because I don't want to give too much away. But the Tillicall is, is really the alien species that uh, Dayton Ward and Scott Pearson came up with way back in 2016 when they were starting to put the initial concept together with us for the um, for the living campaign. And, uh, you know, Dayton and, Sh- and Scott came up with this idea of like, how about this a- really a- ancient alien species that had access to incredible technologies and then disappeared, left their technology behind and they disappeared. What, what's up? What's up with that? And then there's strange stuff going on in the Shackleton Expanse that might be tied to all that. And what's all that mean? And so this chapter is uh, is an effort to kind of pull all together what the player characters probably know about till one heading into the next gen era of um of stories of course the game master and the players are free you know especially the game master is free to uh to throttle this content as much or as little as they need to like if the original series characters probably wouldn't have any right to know most of this stuff so you just don't include it but you know again that entirely depends on what kind of game you want to run original series you totally know this stuff if that's what you want to do you know go for it well Um, let me try and with, with that said, let me give some advice for the GM who's kind of hesitant how to leap with this. Like you said, it gives a lot of details about the tilical, but it does not explain the why. I'm going to tell you as a game master, you get the joy of making up why this technology is there. Who were the Tillicall? Did they have a connection with any other Federation species or star or, or, or alien species or not? Did they, where did they come from? This is all for you to make. I think if you start looking at the book and try to find those answers, you get lost. So I'm telling you right now, GMs, you get to invent the why. You get to decide how why these species are important and their interrelation with each other. When I build um, games, I make it so that each species or each episode is one maybe two, but generally one clue to solving the puzzle. And you may not know till three games later, oh, that's the relevance of this people, these, you know, mm-hmm. these characters, these species. So again, freedom of imagination, freedom of abandon on that. And just understand that you get the joy of making up why these characters are relevant and now go play the game from that idea, right? Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, Game Masters, uh, you know, I throughout this book, I dropped in notes saying like, look, this is a toolkit. This is a toolkit. And I've probably hit that button too many times, but um, I really wanted to try to get GMs to understand that they are empowered to do whatever they want with this content. And it's not like you're, you're not picking up a module off the shelf and like running your group through that module, knowing that every other single group in the universe is going to be running that exact same module exactly the same way. Right. That, that's not what I wanted to do for this. I wanted to give everybody a whole bunch of tools, you know, like like Lego bricks, like throwing as many Lego bricks as possible into your bucket and then saying, just create something crazy and amazing and unique. And um, uh, really careful about not dictating uh, those answers, right? Like we, there's a lot of questions raised in this book about the Tillicall, about the, about the uh, expanse, about all these things going on. And they're all breadcrumbs, right? And it's up to each game master and group to connect the dots for their purposes, right? And I know that was in, I mean, it was intentional. Whether that was the right choice, I don't know. I'm gonna leave it up to posterity now because it's not in my hands anymore. It's up to everybody else to figure it out. I'm gonna say yes for one other big reason. And I hope that makes this particular podcast go viral. Mm. I constantly see, you know, sadly, I see a lot of negativity or a lot of criticism about Star Trek shows, the newer more than anything else. 
um, than I've ever seen before, you know, and it's, it's too bad. Maybe it's a reflection of how bad people are feeling in the universe, but, mm-hmm. but I'm seeing a lot of cre- uh, negativity about that. I've always made, made my RPG that if I don't necessarily really like something in that in Star Trek canon, that my RPG is the place where I get to fix it. And I let my players fix it and say, well, oh, what yeah. really happened? And and so I've been using the Tilakal saga to do just that. Our centers around the destruction of the Hobus star in 2387, the Romulans, and the fact that um, Starfleet didn't go to make the save. And so, and so my, our group has a lot of ethical issues with that. So we're fixing it and we're kind of doing the James Kirk rogue. We're fixing it because we know certain things and Tilakal technology can help us with this. So, mm. so, so it's, I've got their emotions involved because if they don't <laughs> like something happening in the Star Trek universe in particular, we get to have fun writing it ourselves. So that's sure. my advice to GMs is dump the negativity. And if you think you can do a better job, here you go. Here's your chance. Right. Right. No, that's great. Um, and then uh, one other thing I want to note about this chapter before we go too much further on, and I know you're a big fan of the sidebars, right? On page uh, on page 73, we have a, a, a short, well, it's a half page sidebar in here. Because uh, one of the things I really liked about Dayton and Scott's um, initial draft way back in 2016 is like, because they're both so steeped in Star Trek lore, they wanted to try to connect the Tilakal saga to canonical events that we've already seen on screen. Uh, so like things like the um, the temporal rift that the Enterprise D encountered in, in Next Generation, uh, the Tykins rift, the Typhon Expanse, the uh, the Nexus, the energy ribbon that we've seen in Generations. Um, like if you are... If you are a, a, a game master who knows Star Trek pretty well and you watch an episode of the original series and there's some strange, wacky event that happens that they re- refer to in the episode or Spock makes a comment about it or something and you really like that, you could probably fit it in here and chalk it off as a, as a tail call related thing. Like you can, you can explain literally anything, any weird spatial anomaly that happens in the entire Star Trek timeline from the beginning of time to 32nd century and beyond you could theoretically tie it all into the Telecall saga and just blow this thing up into a multi-season, you know, crazy, amazing campaign. Uh, but that that sidebar should really help kind of direct your, your creative energies into like, oh yeah, every random thing that happens in, in a Star Trek episode, like, I mean, heck, for, for where we are now, almost at the end of uh, Discovery season four, maybe Species 10C is somehow related to, uh, to the Telecall. Why not, right? There's so much room here. I literally was watching the show like, if they go there, that means someone in the writer's room is playing <laughs> RPG and playing yeah. the shotgun. I thought that. I, I think I want, I always want to treat like people are watching this podcast or listening to this podcast for the very first time. And mm-hmm. so Scott has said the name, i uh, sorry, uh, Jim has said the name Dayton Ward and Scott Pearson. I just want people to let you know, who they are, because I think that makes a big deal for an RPG. Dayton Ward is one of the top uh, New York bestselling novelists um, for Star Trek. Um, so he has his fingerprints on this book. Uh, Scott Pearson is the line or is the, is the editor for Star Trek for Shyman and Schuster. So, so the, these are, and, he, and Jim said that they're heavy into Canon. Of course they are. They're some of the leaders in the industry for Star Trek. So think about that. They've helped design this game, the Shackleton expanse guide. So, so this is not lightweight in my opinion, this is fun. <laughs> You're playing with the big boys with this one, which is, which I love it. I love I love seeing who wrote what because then, then you kind of get an insight into the novels. Even um, for those of you who haven't read Coda, Star Trek Coda, I even felt a lot of some reminiscence to Coda with with this, um, with that three part three part novelization. 
so a lot of fun stuff and you can just see the creativity pouring off the pages here right mm -hmm. absolutely yeah. uh, and then the, so we wrap this chapter up uh, talking a little bit about some of the worlds that have been related to the Tilka, and this is kind of a collection of worlds from some of the mission briefs and some of the adventures that you'll find in the book just try to collect them into one place just to make it easy for game masters to kind of reference uh, we drop in some page references so you can you know cross references needed uh, you know, try again, try to fill every one of these paragraphs of each world uh, full of plot hooks, because, you know, why not? You know, maybe you just maybe you just, you know, open this book and you cherry pick a couple of things here and there to drop into your campaign. Perfectly fine. It'll all fit. It'll all work one way or another. It'll all work. I got some great art in here, too. Uh, the art, I don't remember the specific artist off the top of my head, but I can go back and look for them. But uh, some great art in here just showing different spatial anomalies and uh, just cool, amazing things out there in space. Almost like uh, like my, my directive for a couple of these pieces of art was like, imagine you're looking through the Hubble Space Telescope at some re really cool, interesting region of space. What do you see? And there's, you know, worlds with gaseous nebulae and, uh, and stars and stuff. And of course, Aaron was responsible for some of this because he, uh, he wrote that great chapter um, early on in the book about uh, spatial uh, phenomena. How does he do it? I, I, when I read these, and each and the, the thing about the spatial phenomenon, I'm going to give him a shout out again. Every time I read one, it forms a distinct different picture, a, a distinct mm. picture in your mind as to what you're dealing with. And I cut and paste this for me because we play on Discord. I cut and paste these descriptions directly into our narrative and nice. boom, it just takes off. The players take off with it. Yeah. So great work on that. Um, great planetary locations and of course i drop them into the map too because i have a map and so mm -hmm. i kind of decide where these are as the players are discovering them which adds to the realism of the game nice nice uh, cool. uh, and then we uh, we do a chapter on the tilcall species themselves uh, a little bit about the tilcall a little bit about the um species that are uh connected to them in one way or another and there's some little surprises in there for players so i don't want to spoil you know anything right now but uh, there's a lot going on with the tilcall and a lot of levers that a game master could pull to uh, to really make things interesting for their for their players yeah uh, i just want to say my advice yeah. on that is don't get stuck on those definitions use them as a springboard but they're not rules i just have to say because I, i've used some of it i've dumped some of it i've twisted and you know uh, finessed some of it and um my play i do that one just in case my players have the books and they're reading them i want to throw them off <laughs> but another one is so that i don't have to keep referring to the book i i create in my mind so that the rules are clear as the game master for myself mm -hmm. awesome yep and then we wrap it up with a, a short chapter on uh, technology artifacts technology weapons all related to the tilt call uh, just some really cool stuff in here. Again, this is Aaron, for the most part, going uh, wild with some of the stuff. Um, although I think Scott uh, wrote a chunk of this too. Um, and I, I did a little tweaking. But uh, for the most part, just kind of, kind of pulling from all the different mission briefs and adventures from the Living Campaign and from the, and from the, this, uh, the saga, uh, just to try to give players and game masters a sense of like, here's some of what is possible with the tail call. And then, you know, just encouraging them to go even bigger, right? Just be, be even more creative, be, you know, make some amazing, cool stuff. Well, I got to showcase a little bit of the art here as a spoiler. Yeah. I'll describe what it is for those who are just listening. But again, how my imagination goes wild is this art about isolinear processor fragments with radiometric dating. And I looked at that, I was like, okay, okay. At some point, I got to have my character stumble across that and give it some meaning. It's not mentioned at all in any of the definitions. So this is, again, mm -hmm. just encouraging uh, game masters and players to let their imagination go wild. Yeah. A lot of cool art. A lot of cool yeah. 
And this uh, this piece of art is another thing that Lee made. Uh, initially, we had a different piece of art in this uh, in this uh, in this page, and it wasn't quite working. And I was like, I think we need something different here. And I and I said, why don't we look back at the at the core book because the core book had a had an, a piece of art of a Tilakal pillar that had like ancient writing on it. It, it might even be the cover of the starter set. I don't. There was a two page spread in the core book uh, with the with they're looking at the pillar and they're looking at the technology and stuff. And I said, what if we took that? And like, like did some sort of like Bajoran thing from DS9 where they get little pieces of artifacts and they don't really know how the pieces go together, but maybe they're scanning them or something. And I just, I, you know, it was like a two, two sentence email to him. <laughs> and then he came back with this and I'm like, yeah, you got it. This is exactly right. Because the thing about this is, is what's so important in RPG books is like the, the art has to tell a story too. And the art has to provide you plot hooks too, right? It's not enough to just to have a nice piece of art in the book. It's got to do something. And I think this is a great example of just like this little thing that he threw together. Like, I don't know how long it took him. It probably didn't take him more than a day. <laughs> um, but but like, there's a story here. It's like, okay, what do these little these little lines, what, what's this language mean? What do these me message fragments mean? What's the radiometric dating? How does that relate to the characters? How does that relate to the story? You know, if I'm a game master, I'm like, oh, I'm going to put a, I'm going to, this is a whole scene right here. This is like a, this, I mean, shoot, this could probably be a whole episode, right? Hey, Just I'm around you right now. I, I'm yeah. treating it like the Dead Sea Scrolls <laughs> and uh, look yeah. it up and Google that if you don't know what it is. Yeah. But, but this literally in my current, um, in my current game is the key to solving mm. a lot. And yeah. I was like, it's too good to just pass by. And so it's a clue that a character picked up and it's going to have huge relevance in our game. So, yeah. so uh, I only can say it again because it's not a spoiler because my players are playing it this week. So <laughs> I, <laughs> this, this will be out after the fact. Yeah. Yes. I, I don't have to do, I'm not doing any damage with that. Uh, again, we, we, you know, we skim over this chapter because we, we don't want to do spoilers, but I'm hoping mm -hmm. it's wetting people's appetites to what's in here. Um, maybe some people have the book and ha they haven't got to dig deep yet, or you haven't ordered the book yet. Um, it's so much fun to be able to write your own Star Trek show. <laughs> so, you know, really, really enjoy um, how for me, I, I've never been more excited. I was just telling a friend the other day that in all my years for playing Maybe I said it here. I can't remember. Maybe you were the friend. I, all my years of playing a different RPG, Marvel Superheroes RPG, I never used one of the published novels ever in 28 years. Now I'm trying to get through all the Star Trek Adventures not, <laughs> modules because yeah. they're just, they do all the work for me. All I, and then they just spark my imagination and my players love it and I have the art to back it up. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's, it's really fun. Really fun. Yeah. You know, and I would love to see like at some point, I don't know if it'll be continuing mission or just some really um, some fan with a lot of time. I think we're at the point now where we have so many adventures and so many mission briefs available now. I mean, there's probably well over, I don't know, probably 125 discrete episodes or stories out there. I think it would be really cool if somebody were to like, like mix and match and like, like pull act one out of this episode and pull act two out of this episode and pull the third plot hook from this mission brief into this up and like just see how all these different pieces can can be woven together into something really different because i mean there's just so much content now you're I'm, killing I, me what do you think i've been doing for four years <laughs> I, mean, I mean first of all if anyone goes yeah. to continuing missions and and pull goes to our adventure index we list every adventure not only published yeah. by odiphius but whatever we could find on the net that people allowed right. us to publish but not only that I've written every a mini novella for every single game we played. And awesome. I, give, I give credit, if you look in there, to where the module came from. So even though the names mm -hmm. are different, I actually say, I call it story by, and that'll be 
But what's happening now is you'll now see that I have story by with maybe two or three names. That means I'm actually combining different modules together. That's amazing. <laughs> Your That's dream really cool. is happening, Jim, right? I, knew. I, I am. I am just elated. I mean, that is that that is the dream, right? I mean, uh, I didn't realize that getting into this job, right? But uh, the the fact that the people out there taking this stuff and just doing amazing things, but I mean, that's almost reward enough, just knowing that the stuff is being played and enjoyed. So, uh, I mean, I would ask anyone too. I'm curious. I would love to do a comparison to see in what order other game people have mm. played the games mm. and and where they ended up. Do we do we share some ideas? Do we come up with similar revel? I, I love that. So anybody who writes either Jim or myself, um, <laughs> I'll post it on continuing mission, what you're doing. Mm. I, I love play reports and con table of contents and stuff like that. Cause mm. it, it just fascinates me to see how, you know, just like in real life, you know, you give someone a, a palette of, of paint and you go to one of those wine tastings, you know, one of those wine, paint and wine nights, and mm. everyone has the same subject, maybe a tiger, but everyone comes up with their own interpretation. And they're so beautiful when you put them all together. Like I, I actually did that with some friends and there were nine of us and some people felt theirs wasn't good. Others people's were better. But when we put all nine of them into a square, it was one of the most beautiful art pieces I ever saw. Mm. And I, I feel it's the same way with Star Trek Adventures. Every idea is good. You get, you know, hear a lot of it and the more we compare it more it gets me into wanting to play more so it's really cool very cool very yeah. cool all, all right, right man. so play let's do our, yeah let's do our normal thing and give <laughs> shout outs right so yeah for sure let's go ahead and give a shout out uh jim cushman uh tells us about his favorite brick and mortar which is night watch games in san antonio texas all right uh so we want to make sure that night watch games uh, feels our love for you uh, continuing uh, having a brick and mortar that supports gaming and tabletop gaming and Jim Cushman appreciates it and we all appreciate it. Who do you want to appreciate, Jim? Uh, you know, it, it doesn't get said often enough. I want to appreciate the fans. Like every day uh, when I'm when I'm working away on these books or, or products or whatever, and uh, if I'm feeling down or if I'm feeling tired, I, I, all I have to do is go to Twitter or Facebook or uh, or, or our new just. You know, the shameless plug for the new uh, Modiphius Discord channel. Um, and just to see the enthusiasm out there for people playing the game and doing random stuff. Uh, even the even the folks that like are really going very tangential to the traditional Star Trek, uh, you know, storyline. I think it's cool just to see what they're doing with it. So, um, you know, I don't say it often enough that I really appreciate the fans, but uh, they, they buoy me when I need to be buoyed. And sometimes I don't realize it, but uh, uh, they keep me going. So, uh, you know, just know that, you know, the entire Star Trek Adventures team, of which is mostly me and all of my freelancers, including you, um, we are doing this with so much love for Star Trek, and we see it being appreciated. And uh, I can't, I can't thank you enough for that. So thank you all, and thank you for the opportunity to chat with them too, because this is an awesome podcast, and I'm having a lot of fun with it. <laughs> good, yeah, we're hearing good things, and you know, yeah. people always feel free to give us suggestions about what you'd like to hear more of, less mm -hmm. of, whatever. Um, it keeps going as long as we have content and ideas. Um, I know it's amazing. You know, Star Trek Avengers has been out over four years now and it's stronger mm -hmm. than ever. I know continuing missions was kind of like an accident. Um, a few of uh, ourselves, myself, Tony Pye, um, um, I always call him Mephit James. I know his real name. I don't know if he wants his real name out there, but I'll call him Mephit James. Um, you know, a couple others were like, hey, let's start doing this. And it just blew up. Um, and so likewise, that's because of the fans constantly telling us what they want and us doing as much as we can to please them. So I, mm. I, I'm all about the fan service here. Absolutely. <laughs> all right. Well, I-D-I-C, go pet. Let me pet my Kwafari. Qu 
Hey, <laughs> Adam. Live long and prosper. Be- Take care. We'll talk to you next time.